Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is Stan Bernard, owner of Bernard Associates and author of Brands Don't Win, available 12th of October. And as we're sitting here today, it's the 11th of October, so we're talking about a release date tomorrow. Congratulations, Stan. Thank you very much, Scott. And welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Excited (laughs) to talk to you. What happens on release day and release week? What kind of activities are filling your time in release week of a book? Well, podcasts like this, we're basically <laughs> doing a virtual media tour. Yeah. Um, obviously because of COVID, but uh, have a lot of exciting things going on. As I said, the book is being launched tomorrow, October 12th. And in addition to the podcast we're doing here and the other podcast, I'm doing a, a number of media interviews. I have an author's podcast that'll be on the Amazon website. And we also have a website for the book, brandsdon'twin.com. So I encourage people to go there for information about the book, the opportunity to download a chapter or to purchase the book. It's a great name for a book as well. It immediately caught my attention. I've talked on this podcast before about, you know, I receive lots of pitches for podcasts and uh, lots of people that want to come on the podcast have written books and brands don't win. Um, it struck me straight away as something that could not necessarily controversial, but um, something that might feel counterintuitive. And that's because of the difference of how marketing has evolved. And I'm sure as we talk today, yeah. the difference between traditionalist marketing and uh, transcendent marketing. So yeah. before we get into all of that, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners and feel free to share any personal goals you have or company mission statements that drive your work at Bernard Associates? Absolutely. So. I am President Bernard Associates. Bernard Associates is a global competition consulting firm. And we focus on doing one thing. We help clients win. And we do it through our unique transcender system, which I've outlined in the book, Brands Don't Win. My firm has had the opportunity to work with over a dozen Fortune 500 companies and 150 other companies across six continents involving 60 countries. I have a somewhat of a unique background. I am a physician, a licensed general practitioner, uh, but I decided to actually pursue strategy instead of surgery. <laughs> and I basically have um, uh, gotten, went back, got my MBA from the Wharton School of Business and Marketing and Healthcare Management. I had the opportunity to work at Bristol Myers Squibb and AT Kearney for a number of years. 
And I also started two different courses at the Wharton School of Business and taught at Wharton as a senior fellow, taught marketing actually for 14 years. And you mentioned as you were talking there about helping companies to win. And something that struck me very early in the book is this fascination with how sports teams win. And even the terminology that you use, you have that that sportsman inside you, it sounds. So I'm interested to know, just uh, just talking that through, that, that's something that you note in, early in your book. But what was the actual motivator behind the book? Did anything specifically trigger you to want to write about this in more detail? Yeah. I think uh, it was two things. One, uh, COVID, actually. Um, I had the opportunity for the first time in many years. I've been so busy uh, helping clients win with my transcender system over the years, but uh, COVID actually gave me some downtime. So, but, uh, But the real motivation behind the book was really twofold. One, to help business professionals win. Um, I wanted to give people that perhaps don't get the chance to participate in my firm's transcender seminars, workshops, training sessions to get access to this system because it is considered by executives to be the world's most powerful winning system for companies and their products. And I also wanted to offer this to companies to help them win. So uh, there are companies that may want to go beyond uh, simply the book and learn more about it and go into more detail to train their professionals to become transcenders. So it's really twofold, helping both business professionals and companies win. And I hadn't really thought about it until I just noted the sports connection there. But you talk about how you talk in the book about how companies can learn from sports and coaches and how they build systems. But I haven't really thought about it applying the other way. So do you think sports can learn from transcender companies and the trends in those companies? Have you seen that happen? You know, it's it's interesting you say that, Scott, because I, as you read in the book and others will read if they read the first part of the book, I'm a huge sports fan. And growing up as a sports fan, I saw that there were winning systems. There were coaches in different sports that absolutely had winning systems. So, for instance, in American football, Nick Saban, the coach of Alabama, has a winning system. He calls it the process, heavily focused on player identification, recruitment, preparation and practice. He learned that system and became the winningest coach in college from Bill Belichick, who is the coach of the New England Patriots, American football team, um, who has his winning system, which is called Do Your Job. Um, Other people may be familiar with the book or the movie Moneyball. Moneyball is a winning system in baseball. So I grew up as a sports fan knowing that there were winning systems. I mean, even from a a very young age, I, I I was more interested often in how teams won as opposed to which teams won. And when I got into business, I looked around and I said, okay, um, what are the different ways to win in business? And what I found is everybody gave me the exact same answer. Everybody said there's only one way to compete in business, and that's with branding. You create a brand, and then you differentiate the brand, usually using lots of promotions, advertising, sales reps, etc. And this was a shock to me. Uh, and I would press back on my colleagues in, in marketing at, at Wharton and at Bristol Myers Squibb, which is a branding company. I'd say, wait, wait there's got to be a different system. There can't be just one system. And, they, and, they, and I would get literally the deer in the headlights look. Um, people <laughs> would, would basically be brandwashed, as I call it. Um, so I went about pursuing and not only an alternative, but a better system to branding. 
and specifically a winning system. Because branding, by the way, is not designed to be a winning system. It's not even designed originally to be a competitive system. I mean, it was originally uh, used uh, 4,000 years ago to brand livestock um, so that people would be able to identify their cows or other livestock from um, their other other farmers. And branding itself is over 3,000 years old. I mean, the ancient Greeks literally used early branding techniques. So they would basically use engravings, for instance, on pottery to differentiate their pottery from another merchant's pottery. Now, fast forward 3,000 years, we're basically doing the same thing. Okay, And virtually every company on the planet uses branding to differentiate their products. And this, to me, did not make sense. So I went about devising and creating an absolutely new system, which I call the transcender system. And the transcender system is unique because instead of playing the same brand game that every company pretty much on the planet plays, whether they have products, services, technologies, whatever it may be, in the transcender system, companies create and play a game only they can win. And then they force rivals to play that game. So this is a totally different mindset because you're right. When you said the title caught you, it was meant to catch you. It was meant to be provocative. It was meant to tell you, wait, stop. And I want you to think differently. Okay. Or as Apple would say, think different. <laughs> okay. And so what I did in the book is I basically have outlined the three steps to the transcender system using six different, 16 different case studies. And what I have found is companies that use this approach, including Amazon, Apple, Peloton, Sweetgreen, Google, and others, absolutely transcend their rivals. They rise above their rivals, play a game only they can win, and force competitors to react to them. So I'm interested in, we'll go into the transcender system in a little bit more detail in just a moment. But before we go into that, you just talked there about branding and how essentially it was time to change and that the traditional method of branding to just differentiate products no longer works. So the question that comes to mind for me, and I imagine for the listeners as well, is why? What maybe has triggered or changed over time that means that differentiation through branding perhaps no longer works or maybe it's just no longer as effective yeah i'd say there's the, the biggest reason that companies are moving to the transcender system and moving away from the traditionalist branding competitive system is because of the internet okay now we did have companies notably starbucks and nike that, and others before the the rise of the internet but the internet has really caused a paradigm shift to the transcender system. And the reason for that is probably threefold. First, the level of competition with the internet has increased dramatically. You're no longer competing against a few companies that might be local or regional or even national. You're now competing against potentially thousands of products from around the world. So competition has gone up dramatically. Secondly, the information overload that the internet has basically caused means that when all these different companies are out there messaging and trying to differentiate their brands on these slight distinct features or benefits of their product, it's too much. The typical U.S. adult gets bombarded by six to 10,000 promotional or advertising messages per day. Okay? So what happens? The human brain can't handle all that. They tune it out. 
So as a result, the transcender system, which is very focused on a campaign agenda, five words or fewer, that's repeated multiple times, and I'll talk more about how that comes about, is more readily processed by the brain. Okay, so that's another reason. And probably the third reason is what I call the democratization of products. The Internet has now made it so that there's not only so many products and so many messages out about the products out there, but it's also made it so that now we have all these user reviews on Amazon and Google and other websites. What that means is that products today are elected instead of selected. Let me explain what I mean by that, because that is a paradigm shift. Typically, we would hear information about products from the companies themselves. They would provide these brand messages, et cetera, and brand information over and over. But now we have information about products and, and numerous brands, basically from other users. And many people believe that other users' reviews are actually more authentic and then the company that is obviously brand biased. So they start to listen to and respond to these votes that people take. Basically, they vote for products on Amazon by giving them four or five stars versus one or two. And so as we see, many non-brand or no-name brands, so to speak, are winning because they get more votes. So it's no longer about which company spends the most on advertising, promotions, sales reps. Many times it's the product that gets the best product reviews online. So the Internet dramatically changed the game and has really led to this transcender revolution. And it's interesting because you talk about the Internet and information overload. And as I was reading through this part of the book and as you're talking now, it makes so much sense that I think you describe it as a campaign agenda. So the, which you mentioned there, five words or fewer and the communication of that messaging, the clarity of that messaging, and the consistency of the repeat of the I was going to say repeatability, but I don't think that's a word. Uh, the, the repeating it to keep it in people's minds is so important. But it also it cuts through the noise with yes. so many, so much noise, so many ads, so much information. It's so important to have that campaign agenda so that you can easily reflect on it and. Assess, remember it. Yeah, remember it. Assess whether you right. believe in it. Yeah, so that's re- that's something that really stood out to me. There's something else that I wanted to ask you before we go into campaign agendas there. And you liken this, the political playbook, to the product playbook by referencing the Electoral College in America. And that was fascinating because looking at it through a marketing lens, I start seeing that as influencer marketing. So is it fair to say that in terms of modern marketing, and in terms of a transcender approach, influencer marketing also becomes a really important element as far as you see it. Influencer marketing is absolutely critical, but I will tell you that it's very different in a transcender system versus the traditional system. And let me explain how. In the transcender system, what I did was I was searching for a better way to win, not just compete, because traditional branding will help you compete. I mean, if you if you just want to brand, um, or excuse me, if you just want to compete, then brand. If you want to win, then transcend. So in order to create a winning system, I had to base it on something. And I based it actually not on sports, not on business, but surprisingly on political elections and mm-hmm. campaigns. Because what I found was in politics, you have this issue and have had it for many years, whether you're in the US, UK, Europe, wherever it may be, 
where you often have many, many different politicians vying to become the president or prime minister. And therefore, you have to get your message out in a clear, concise way that people will not only remember it, but recall it and repeat it to others. So what I did, for instance, is I looked at uh, President Obama's election in 2008 when he was running for U.S. president, and I saw that he didn't lead with vote Obama. He didn't lead with the brand. He led with a campaign agenda, or game as it's called in politics. His one word campaign agenda was change. Hmm. Change, change, change. And he kept repeating it over and over, and he had the ubiquitous change posters, et cetera, et cetera. And then he followed with the brand. So that if people believed in, not bought into, but believed in change, were inspired by change, then he was the change candidate. And that is how he won the 2008 presidential election. Similarly, 2016, Donald Trump, he was a brand in the United States. He could have gone with vote Trump, but he didn't. He led with four words, make America great again. If people believed in make America great again, then he was the one to supposedly make America great again. Again, put aside politics. I don't care about politics. I'm looking at the campaigning process that's so critical for people to understand in order to understand the transgender system. So the idea was they basically lead with a campaign agenda that's five words or fewer, and then follow with their brand positioning, again, which is five words or fewer. And just as an aside, the reason these campaign agendas have to be five words or fewer is because, quite frankly, that's all we can remember in our short-term memory. We used to be able to remember seven plus or minus two chunks of information or digits in our short-term memory, We've lost 43% of our short-term memory recall over the last 20 years, primarily due to our iPhones and other devices. So if you want something to get into long-term memory, it has to get into short-term memory. To get into short-term memory, it has to be four, five words or fewer, ideally four words or fewer, which is why the vast majority of political slogans or campaign agendas are five words or fewer. So in addition to that, in addition to having this campaign agenda and playing this game, Politicians also use a campaign platform to communicate. So instead of the traditionalist brand way of how companies use multiple, multiple messages to target it to all these different segments, et cetera, et cetera, no, politicians don't do that. Politicians give one overarching campaign agenda for everyone. They have a few C messages, okay? C messages are campaign messages designed to push the agenda versus the brand because it's more important to push the agenda A than it is to push the brand B. So they have a few C messages and then they position their candidate or their product in this case, followed in alignment with the positioning. So this is a totally different way to do it. And what's interesting in the influencer marketing space is that companies play their own game. They can also decide who the influencers are. They can create the influencers. So this is the difference, a huge difference in the transgender system is that you basically play by your rules. You decide who are going to be the influencers. For instance, in the transgender system, we have what are called advangelicals. That's a portmanteau that I created. It basically means these passionate proselytizers who advocate for your product. Now, in the brand world, we have product advocates, okay? But in the transgender world, we have evangelicals. These are people that are almost zealots, okay? And the reason is because 
Transcender companies have put together an agenda that is inspiring. They mm-hmm. want to inspire their customers as opposed to simply sell them, which is what we do in the traditionalist brand world. Okay. They're on a mission. They don't just have a mission statement. They're on a mission. So as a result, people get really inspired by these companies. I mean, a classic example is Peloton. Peloton created this whole cult-like following of evangelicals who not only do they buy into, but more importantly, they believe in what Peloton is campaigning or what their campaign agenda is, which initially was a world-class indoor cycling studio experience. And if I don't know if you've talked, Scott, to anybody that owns a Peloton, but they basically will go on and on telling you how amazing this experience is. And they're not simply product advocates. They are going to talk to you to convince you to buy it. <laughs> I have a friend who's a former cyclist, uh, professional cyclist, and he got one and he's been telling me about this for years and telling me how great it is in terms of measuring his output and his gears and he could high five other riders and he loved the instructors and on and on and on. He told me so much that finally I bought one for my son. And then what happens? My son turns around and starts telling me how great the, the Peloton is, how he's using it not only to measure his output and his metrics, but also he's using it now for, for running and for training and weightlifting, et cetera, et cetera. These are called evangelicals. So companies can create their whole new set of influencers, not the traditionalist set of influencers or not limited to the traditionalist set of influencers. To answer one of your questions, I don't have a Peloton tread or cycle, but I am a Peloton digital subscriber and I have my own tread. So I know exactly what you're talking about there. And funnily enough, within this last week, even though my treadmill is fine, just to enhance my experience even further, a Peloton shop over in the UK just opened in a location that I was visiting. And so I did step in there, tried out their tread, spoke to their staff. And um, it really is interesting how you describe it. You want to be bought into this sense of community. And really, if you have a belief system or you have principles or values, it feels like you want to be a part of community with people that share those principles and values. That's the real experience behind it all, I think. Yeah. In fact, Peloton is a great example of a transcender company. It is one of the 16 examples I use in the book, Brands Don't Win. They basically, they used one of three different ways or techniques that I identify in the book to create the agenda or change the game. What they did is they recreated. So they did competitive recreation. They recreated the cycling studio experience that you might go to a cycling studio or a health club and and basically participate in one of their classes. What they said is, you know what, we're going to recreate that and we're going to make it better. And we're going to do it for the home. We're going to create a basically a Peloton experience where we have better equipment, a better bike, better instructors, better convenience. It's at home. Okay. And ultimately creating the ultimate Peloton experience. So if you buy into and more importantly, believe in their agenda of a world-class indoor cycling studio, then you're more likely to purchase one of their products. And then as we talked about, become a potentially an evangelical. Yeah, the thing that stands out to me, having known Peloton a bit and started to, so I've started to use their digital subscription within the last year, is as you talk about evangelicals, their personal instructors are really evangelicals of their company, constantly promoting the brand. And then um, in turn, their followers and their communities are sharing, as you said, and it creates that kind of snowball effect. But the, inter- the interesting part of this is that they have, uh, Peloton had the belief, they had the campaign agenda. 
but you have to have the substance behind it because yes. Advangelicals in 2021, if you don't live up to that campaign agenda and you inspire without substance, without follow-up, is it fair to say that that superficial nature just won't lead to any form of longevity in this era? Well, it's it's a great point. Ideally, I tell this to my clients, ideally you want to have both the best campaign agenda and the best campaign candidate. Right. Okay, that's in the ideal world. However, let's take an example such as Starbucks. Starbucks, people would probably say it's not necessarily the best tasting coffee in the world. Even patrons, I, I survey patrons all the time at Starbucks and say, you know, do they have the best coffee? And almost, I've never heard anybody say they have the best coffee. Hmm. Okay. So there's a company that, you know, you would say from a traditional standpoint, they don't have the best product. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And if you look at what they did and how they changed the game, so they are a classic transcender company. The first 16 years that Starbucks was around, starting in 1971 and, and the Pikes Market in Seattle, Washington, they tried to play the branding game. They had the Starbucks brand name, they had the brand logo, the Nordic Siren. They had their branded coffee and coffee beans. They had the branded coffee cup. They had all the branding elements, and they were advertising and promoting. And for the first 16 years, they were only adding one store per year. Okay, So they were not winning. Okay, They, they were certainly not winning. In 1987, Howard Schultz buys the company and says, you know what? We're not going to play this branded coffee game. We're going to change the game. He changed the game using a three-word agenda, very much like politicians, as we've talked about. His three-word agenda was the third place. Three words, the third place. He said, we're going to become the third place between home and work in America at that time. That is why you see a Starbucks on one side of the highway on the way to work and directly on the other side of the highway on the way home from work. That is why you see these Starbucks and strategic locations, whether it's in a corporate center, a mall, a transportation hub, it's why their stores are much larger and much more comfortable and, and welcoming with, you know, baristas that are hospitable, with clean bathrooms, nice music, big chairs, even couches. Starbucks does not want you to grab a cup of coffee like Dunkin' Donuts. They want you to grab a chair. Hang out. Come here in the morning, meet some of your business colleagues on the way to work, on the way home from work, do some of your work on your own, spread out on a table, or invite some of your friends. We want to become the third place between home and work in America. Once he did that, over the next 20 years, by changing the game using the Transcender system, Starbucks went from adding one store per year to 1,350 stores per year. That's 1,350 times the growth. That is what I refer to as a transcendent takeoff. I see this with my clients all the time. They start becoming a transcender, and then the sales, the profits, and in this case, the number of coffee shops goes through the roof. Starbucks now has over 31,000 stores across 80 countries. They are three times the size of their next biggest competitor, which is Dunkin' Donuts. And that's despite the fact that in the U.S., Dunkin' Donuts spends twice as much on advertising and promotions as Starbucks, and yet Starbucks gets three times more coffee sales. When Starbucks went globally to the UK, first, London, and other places, 
They waited 18 years before they did even global advertising. They didn't even do global advertising, and yet they became the biggest coffee chain in the world. This is a classic example of changing the game. They changed the game really from coffee to the coffee shop, what they call the third place. And I don't know too much about Starbucks branding historically or just their company growth in general. So did they then take that campaign agenda and use that in advertising? Because I don't recall ever seeing that. Or was that just an internal mantra that they use? That's a very insightful question, Scott. Um, So you have companies that do an implicit agenda Mm. or versus an explicit. So in Starbucks case, Starbucks doesn't want to tell the marketplace the in the B2C, business consumer marketplace, they do not want to tell consumers about the third place. They want them to just experience it, okay? They don't want them to, to realize, oh, it's all about the place, it's not about the coffee. They don't know. Starbucks doesn't want to do that. Now, in business to business, so when they're talking to analysts or to a news channel or media, business media channel, they will talk about the third place and they will repeat it over and over and over again. So this is different than a company such as Apple, which clearly has had an agenda in 1997, which was think different, or more commonly, everybody knows Nike's three-word agenda, just do it, okay? A lot of people don't know that when Nike came up with that agenda in 1987, they were actually losing the branding game. Reebok at that time owned 45% of North American sports apparel shares, Nike only had 18%. So they were going up brand versus brand. And quite frankly, Reebok was the better known brand and it was winning. The Nike team, Phil Knight as the CEO and the Nike team got together and said, we got to change the game. We, We can't keep playing this brand game. We're getting beaten. So they changed the game with three words. Just do it. The idea was that you don't have to be an athlete to basically Get out there, start moving, and by the way, Nike clothes are the clothes or shoes you should wear when you start moving. Okay, so again, that was another example that comes from the book. And what's interesting about Nike, and I, I tie Nike here. Nike have the campaign agenda, but then the ability to put it put it on actual product. So. Yes. You take that belief system yeah. and then you make it into something tangible. And for That's me, right. th- for me, this is an interesting parallel with the Make America Great Again campaign in 2016, because it's the first time that I'm aware of where you have the campaign agenda, which is so memorable, but then he's Donald Trump or his team have then physically branded the red hats, which now you can't forget. I'm just interested to know if um, you see that as a, an important part of that particular political campaign. And then also, are there any other transcender brands that you think have done a good job of taking that belief, taking that campaign agenda, and then actually adding the more traditional brand element to it as well and turning that campaign agenda into something more tangible that people can own? Yeah, um, excellent question. So let's talk about those branded hats, the MAGA hats, (laughs) as they're known. Um, And again, put aside politics. So in the transcender system, you lead with the agenda and you follow with the brand. A way to think about it is almost like a play. In the transcender system, the agenda has the lead role. The brand has a supporting role and everything else you do has a supporting role. In fact, everything transcenders do, whether it's branding, communications, their actions, their metrics, everything they do aligns to their overarching agenda. So, yes. So. Are like branded hats, 
and, and, and traditional branding. Is it helpful in a transcendent world? Absolutely. But it's a supporting role. So I talk about in the second step and the champion, excuse me, in the communication of the agenda, communicating the agenda in the book, I talk about the importance of memory and that agenda should be memorable. And so one of the ways to make it memorable is to make it visual. And I talk about five different ways to make it memorable, including simple and distinct. So it needs to be simple, five words or fewer. It needs to be distinct, something unique, okay, um, such as think different or just do it, etc. It also needs to be repetitive and consistent. So Donald Trump, to his credit, never said, you know, we're going to make America better. <laughs> he never said, you know, the United States is going to be a greater country. He always said the precise, exact same words, make America great again. Okay? Very important in terms of memory. So, so that's, that's the, the importance of, of having branding support your agenda. Now, I think the, the second question you had is, you know, where do you see branding elements? Well, there's a number of companies that use branding elements. And I'm going to take an example of Geico. Um, Geico is a car insurance company in the United States that's fascinating because the company was pretty much in the bottom, you know, number five through 10 in terms of insurance companies for car insurance in the United States in the 1990s. In 1999, they said, you know, we, we got to change the game. We're going up against the biggest company in the industry and the leader, which was State Farm Insurance. State Farm was known for having the biggest insurance broker network. They had over 19,200 agents today, and they really dominated the car insurance and insurance industry in the United States. Geico said, you know, we can't play that game. We can't play that insurance broker game. We have to play a different game. So they actually used, interestingly, they started using advertising. Uh, on TV, radio, print, et cetera, at that time to compete against State Farm because the belief was, to your point, they didn't actually have a product. You can't see insurance, right? So it's not like a Nike shoe or a Peloton bike. So as a result, what they did is they said, you know, we're, we're going to actually be the first company to start advertising insurance. We're going to make insurance exciting, interesting, okay? So they, they basically changed the game. They said, we can't compete against this uh, large sales network. We're going to use the advertising to support our agenda. Their agenda was 15 minutes, 15%, okay? Meaning they had a C message that said, you know, in 15 minutes or less, you can save 15% or more on car insurance, okay? So that was their, basically one of their C messages. And they kept repeating, 15 minutes, 15%. The idea being then the position of their company, Geico, was that it was easy savings. Easy savings versus the difficult expense that you might find with State Farm, which was more expensive and was more difficult because you typically had to work with your own agent as opposed to just calling up an 800 number or going on the internet and using uh, Geico insurance agents that were on call 24-7. So they basically changed the game totally to this 15 minutes, 15%. They used advertising branding to support it very effectively. Now, interestingly, they broke all the rules in branding and advertising. So instead of having one spokesperson or spokes character, they've had dozens. They've had everything from a gecko, which is their main character, to yeah. Pinocchio, to Maxwell the pig, to celebrities, on and on and on, cavemen, etc. And they run the commercials at the same time. But what's unique and this is typical of the transcender system, is every commercial ends 
with the 15 minutes, 15% Geico. 15 minutes, 15%, their agenda, and then the brand Geico. So they have this overarching campaign agenda, and they use all these different ads. They run them at the same time, totally against all the rules of advertising. And yet they have now jumped to number two in the U.S. and are within two market share points of State Farm and closing in on the bigger competitor. It's funny taking the podcast full circle going back to sports is that I'm an American sports fan. So I watch uh, a lot of basketball, American football, and I can't escape the Geico adverts when I'm watching sports. They're always on in the intermissions. And uh, yeah, this, the, the, the gecko is the first thing that comes to mind. And even me, I'm not even looking for any type of insurance. Is the 15% in 15 minutes is something that even I knew about having not even been in that market because it's, it's consistent. It's been consistent for so yeah. many years. Yeah. You know, to your point, Scott, they repeated so much. Yeah. And they were at one point in time, just a couple of years ago, they were the number one advertiser in the United States. Wow. You know, they were they were up there with P&G, which is a branding company. And again, that's not typical of Transcenders. Most Transcenders actually spend dramatically less on advertising promotion. But again, Geico was playing its own game. They have said it so many times, 15 minutes, 15 percent, that in October of last year, they had a commercial. How did the gecko come up with 15 minutes, 15 percent? Right. And and then, of course, they've they had a whole series of commercials. Why does everybody know 15 minutes, 15%? Well, that's because Geico keeps telling us 15 minutes, 15%. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's so easy a caveman can do it, right? And so everybody knows it because they keep repeating the same agenda now going on 22 years, which is totally, again, that's not what traditional brand companies do. Traditional brand companies will use a different brand messages, sometimes changing every three months, every two to three years, whatever it may be. They don't stay with the exact same five words or fewer for 20 plus years in the case of Geico or over 30 years in the case of Nike. Just to close out this episode, my final question, as we're talking right now today, there, there are loads of case studies in the book about some of the brands that maybe we're more familiar with. But as you assess different markets, uh, are there any businesses that you're looking at today that you think have the potential to be transcenders? And maybe if one or two reasons as to why you think they've not got the qualities of a transcendent brand. Yeah. So let me make it very clear. The transcender system is applicable to any type of company, no matter what size. I have used it, everything from a one-person startup to a Fortune 100 company. Okay, so it doesn't matter what size. The transcender system is cross-product, meaning you can use it for any type of product, technology, service, or other offering. It's cross-geographic. I've used it literally everywhere from South Africa to Russia to Asia to, to Europe, South America, the United States, et cetera. Okay? Um, and so it can be applied across any type of business. Okay? So that's very important. In terms of uh, an example, um, I, I would say that Seedlip, to me, is a fascinating example. Most people probably haven't heard of Seedlip, although if you're in the UK, you might have because it's a UK company. Seedlip was started in 2013 by Ben Bransom. At the time, Ben Bransom was actually a design agency executive, and he went out on a Saturday night in London, and he was looking for you know, something to drink um, that was non-alcoholic, and he came across a bad mocktail. And he said to his friends, you know, I, I, this, I, I, we, we got to do better than this. There's got to be some better options than these types of mocktails. 
So he went and he did some investigating using Google and the internet, and he found that there is actually a book called The Art of Distillation. The Art of Distillation is from 1651. It was written by a physician at the time, John French, um, who wrote that book, and even though he was English. And um, in it, it talks about how you distill you know, alcohol. So Ben became fascinated with this, and he had not only did he have a design agency background, but he also had a farming background. His family, he had uh, multiple generations, I think 13 generations of farmers in the UK. Um, and so he bought a copper still, a distillation device, and started experimenting with uh, basically different vegetables and herbs from his family's farm, things like peas and hay and other things. And he came up with the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirits. Okay, now that was his campaign agenda world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirits. So he led with the agenda, and then the company, Seedlip, of course, was the brand. He followed with the brand. He went to a buyer in Selfridges uh, that you guys certainly know in the UK um, and gave them a taste of this non-alcoholic gin that was distilled through his copper still. And the buyer liked it so much, she referred him to some uh, bartenders in London. They then... Uh, Apparently loved it. He sold out his first thousand bottles in three weeks, his second thousand bottles in three days, and his third thousand bottles, even before he had a brand, really, in 30 minutes. And he was on to something. Okay. And so he basically, his sort of mission, and, and this is very important, he didn't just have a mission statement. See, like many companies, has a mission statement, but he was on a mission. This is a very important distinction between traditionalists and transcenders. Traditionalists have mission statements. Most people don't even know what their mission statements are, couldn't repeat them, they're too long, they can't remember them. Whereas transcenders have an agenda. That is their mission. They are on mission. So Ben, and I had the opportunity to interview Ben for the book, a fascinating, fascinating young man, who basically said, you know, I wanted to offer people something to drink when they're not drinking. Okay. That was one of his C messages. Okay. And he has then exploded his company seed lift, which is by the way, named after the baskets that his family used in the farm on the farm. Basically seed lift has exploded in the first four years on the marketplace. They commanded 70% of the non-alcoholic distilled spirits marketplace around the world. 70% of the dominant player they were so popular that they got bought in 2018 by Diageo. Diageo is the world's largest spirits maker. Many people know them for Smirnoff, Guinness, and other types of spirits and alcohol drinks, alcoholic beverages. And this was the first time in their 278-year history that they had ever purchased a non-alcoholic company. And they purchased it saying, literally, John Kennedy, who was the Diageo president at the time, basically said, you know, this seed lip is a game changer and we want to be part of that. And that's really what it's all about. So that's that's a company I'd look out for. There's a number of others. I'm constantly analyzing, looking for transcender companies and helping companies become transcenders. And I think probably the, the most important thing is the book Brands Don't Win gives you the three proven practical steps for becoming a transcender. You can go through that and anybody, any company, any business professional in any part of the world can basically become a transcender.
You've completed my episode close there because I was going to say a similar thing. So the book is Brands Don't Win. Uh, As you listen to this podcast, that book will be available everywhere. And so I wish you all of the best in terms of the promotion of the book. I know you've probably got a very busy week ahead. I really appreciate the time that you've spent here with me. That's been a really fascinating episode. And just finally, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and more about the book? Absolutely. Um, And again, Scott, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you and your listeners. So I recommend people um, go to brandsdontwin.com for more information about the book, about my firm, about basically how to become a transcender. On that site, you'll have the opportunity to actually take a quiz. The quiz basically asks a simple question. Are you a traditionalist or transcender? And it ranks you according to a 10-point scale. So uh, I highly encourage you to do that. And if you want to purchase the book, it's going to be on numerous different book sites, including Amazon. Wonderful. So, uh, yeah, the message that I'm taking away is don't just lead with a mission statement. Live your mission. That's a really important takeaway and something that uh, leaves me smiling closing out the episode today. Stan, I thank you so much for your time. This has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.